Hello and welcome to the Delaware Football Roundup by WVUD Sports. I'm Brandon Halvac. Today joined by Jake Lampert for our final preview of the 2018 Delaware football season. Jake, we are just under 36 hours to go until the game as we sit here recording this Wednesday morning. And it's here. Delaware versus Rhode Island tomorrow night, 7 o'clock p.m. The Hens start year two of the Danny Rocco era. Yeah, and just 36 hours away from a lot of our questions being answered. A lot of them more or less revolving around this offense of who's going to be our 1-2 wide receiver core. Is Kanai Kane really going to be that just focal point? And in the quarterback position, obviously Pat Keogh getting named the starting quarterback. We don't know if he's even going to finish the first game of the season against Rhode Island. We have a lot of questions, and in 36 hours, we'll have a lot of answers for you all, too. The biggest news since the last time that Jake and I were on this podcast is what you just said, Pat Kehoe being named the starting quarterback. The last two years for Kehoe, he was the third-string quarterback, first behind Joe Walker and Blake Rankin two years ago, and last year behind Walker and J.P. Caruso. This year, he beats out Caruso and Boston College transfer Darius Wade in preseason camp. On Monday at the press conference, the first of the season for head coach Danny Rocco, he said that Pat Kehoe has been a leader on this team the past few seasons. You just don't see it from the outside looking in because of the little things he does during and outside of practice for this team. He's made big leaps and bounds through the offseason to put himself just into that conversation with Caruso and Wade and then to pass them. And he gets the first go at it. Rocco did say... We should note right off the top that he expects to see more than one quarterback play this weekend, and I would expect that second guy at some point to be J.P. Caruso, who was the number two at the end of preseason camp. But it is Pat Kehoe, the career backup in his senior season, that will get the first go at it. He was named captain yesterday of this team. He gets the start for Rocco to start year two. And we're going to recap a little bit of what we talked about in the cage here, and uh, that whole vibe is that this is the right decision because what bad can happen? You put Pat Kehoe in the starting lineup. He throws two interceptions in the first quarter, uh, first half, let's just say, those two interceptions. And in comes J.P. Caruso. Whatever, that's what you would have got anyway if you started Caruso. So what's the big deal of a first half in the CAA game? You don't play him. You never know what he's going to do. So there's no real bad uh, putting in Pat Kehoe. There can only be good if he comes in and he excels. If he plays that starting quarterback job to a T. Then that's it. That's sold. We'll have uh, J.P. Caruso as the backup um, for the most part, unless we hear otherwise. And that's how we're going to run the season. So I think when Rocco said we will definitely see multiple quarterbacks, I have no doubt about that. I think even if uh, Kehoe is doing well, and I'm not saying four touchdowns, five touchdowns in the first, well, I'm saying one or two, which is a good quarter, I still think we're going to see Caruso come in just because they need to see both of them in game-time decisions. I think that's accurate, especially— Knowing that this opponent, Rhode Island, has been one of the bottom teams in the CAA, if Kehoe is performing well, I still think that Caruso will get that time, whether it's in the first half or maybe at the beginning of the second half, he'll get an opportunity just for that sole reason, like you said, to see him in real game action, live speed action. You know, And if Kehoe struggles, I do think his leash is a little bit longer than just this game. But either way, you want to see both of these guys let them put something on tape against a true opponent and a CAA opponent at that. Yeah, you go from Rhode Island to Lafayette to Cornell. Two of those three teams should be pretty surefire. I don't have enough information on Lafayette to call it a surefire win I or not. I think it's close. I think it's close to a surefire. So we'll say we'll give give the other teams the benefit of the doubt and say two out of these three games Delaware should win. 
even if Keogh plays badly the first game, I still think he'll be in the next two because of the ability of the second uh, second half, if needed, the Delaware to turn the gas on. And I also think that offensive play won't be too important. I think the defense will do more than enough in these next, their first three games, I should say, that offensive play shouldn't be that bad. I think scoring will come from the defensive end. I think just general stops, field position will come from the defensive end. So it's not as much you have a huge gap to come in the second half if Kehoe, if Caruso plays bad in the first. You'll have enough room that you can take it slow, like focus on these quarterbacks, and then move on in the second. The defense has already been talked about as one of the best in the FCS, one of the best nationally. This week, even players at practice in on Monday saying that they want to be remembered as one of the best defensive units to come through here at Delaware. And they have the potential to be just that. The linebacking core, obviously, we've talked about it a lot through these preseason podcasts. It's loaded with Troy Reader and Charles Bell in the middle, Colby Reader and Ray Jones on the outside. The secondary has a lot of experience in three returning starters, plus senior Tenny Adewusi. And even this defensive line that has lost two NFL players in Bilal Nichols and Blaine Woodson has showing some pretty strong depth with the transfers of Caleb Ashworth and Frank Burton to replace those guys in a way, as well as the return of Cam Kitchen from injury. Taking this defensive unit as a whole, and Jake, you already mentioned that it's probably enough to put them over the top in those first three games, or at least two of the three. What what first jumps out to you across the board, any of the three levels on this defense, which again is trying to be one of the best in the nation? I'm going to go the pass blocking core. It's probably my favorite core to talk about because the secondary. of secondary. Yeah, the secondary uh, because of how deep it goes. And last year was um, a double-edged sword that we got to see how deep it goes, but we got to see how deep the secondary goes because everybody got injured. Uh, this is an opportunity for Adderley in the first place who has gained a um, a sneaky amount of momentum as being an NFL player. He's gained a lot more attention than I think any of us expected, uh, deservingly so for him. Especially if you take it back to before last year when he was playing corner as the second or third guy on this team. Yeah, I think that whole entire unit is something that teams wish they had, that you don't need to play the same four, maybe five guys in that secondary every single play. You can rotate. You can get a, give players a break. You can give players a whole set of breaks, keep the fresh legs, and from a line that we've talked about is dominant, from the linebacker core we've talked about is dominant, that extra layer that you can't run on them and now you can't pass on them, it's pretty much sealed the deal for a defensive nightmare. One guy in that secondary that we haven't talked as much about is Joey Carter, who enters this season as the backup at safety, can play either probably more so to play an Isaiah Adderley spot, but you could see him in Malcolm Brown's spot at safety as well. This is a guy that last year at this point was a backup wide receiver and somebody who was looked at as maybe an outside option to get playing time. He eventually really didn't factor in at all. Gene Coleman maybe took some of that playing time. Vinny Papali stayed relatively healthy. And then it was Joe Walker emerging later in the season. This offseason, he makes the full transition from wide receiver to defensive back. And he's not a guy like Joe Walker who makes that position change and we expect him to be maybe all CIA or at least a top comp- contributor on this team. But I find it interesting that just that one switch, and now he could be you know, one injury away 
from playing an entirely different position on the entirely opposite side of the ball behind Adderley or Brown. Yeah, and that whole defense, we've talked about it before plenty of times. You have Nigel Hill also in that mix. Yep. As, uh, Who really a, 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 stepped up last yeah, year. Due, due to all those injuries and due to all those gaps. I think it's great, and I think it almost adds to what I was saying that he has that opportunity now, that now he's moving to that defensive back position, that there is a rotating door, that he will come in for at least one or two rotations a game to give that player, whoever it may be, a rest. And during that time, he can make his mark. He can step up and show that maybe this was a good transition. Maybe this wasn't a good transition for him, but he will have that opportunity. And I think that's what this whole entire season uh, at this point is, um, I guess, motto-wise. In other words, you have your opportunities. Walker's going to have his opportunities. Kehoe's going to have his opportunities. You have opportunities all across the board. Any of the running backs not named Kanai Kane is going to have plenty of opportunities. So you have a lot of players, and like we talked about, like I said right in the beginning, a lot of questions, and we should have answers on if that's going to be a good move or not. And to that point, there's a big opportunity for this team to make headway as far as the conference goes and the playoffs and regaining their top FCS form. And that's the question that all of these little things lead back to is can Delaware reestablish itself at the top of the country in a place that they probably should be based on the size of the school, the size of the stadium and so forth when you compare it to the other top teams in the FCS. And it gets back to, as we maybe take a look now back to the offensive side of the ball, it gets back to can Joe Walker not only be a, a trickery guy here and there, but can he be one of the leading receivers on this team can can I Kane come through on that promise of being an all CAA running back with support in the backfield from a guy like Dejon Lee or an experienced guy like Kareem Williams? Taking a look at the skill guys, Jake, who I'm not gonna say stands out to you the most, but who's maybe the most critical to take a step forward for this team? Um, if they are to, as we've said, get to that next level, especially offensively where this team has struggled the most the past couple of seasons. I don't I'm not gonna go into the running back position because I think there's just too many names that no matter what you're going to have a success out of the running back position. That's fair. Like I, if one guy doesn't make it, you got, like, somebody four, else will take more. the chance. Like, yeah. it'll, it'll it'll fill itself out. I'm tempted to go with whoever takes that three spot on the wide receiver position, whether it be Gene Coleman, whether it be Vinny Papali. Um, Probably to Papali to start, but we'll right. see who gets in. Because that's always a unique position, football-wise in general, for the Blue Hens specifically, because that's that's almost your safe route. That'll always be that safe play. Uh, when we had uh, last year, when it was Deontay Cherry and Jamie Jarwin on the ends, and you had Papali on the inside, Coleman on the inside, you often see them doing their third and sixes, their third and sevens. That's your look. And for an inexperienced quarterback— "Quote unquote inexperienced playtime quarterback." Yeah, he's in, that, he hasn't thrown a college football pass. I think it's very common experience of Pat Kehoe. You need that. That's necessary. I mean, NFL comparison. You have a Jarvis Landry who is just as safe as safe gets. You need six yards, he'll give it to you. That's something you need for an inexperienced quarterback. That if it's third and six and your two guys on the outside get mobbed up, maybe a double coverage from a defensive back or another free safety, you need that person to get you that extra yards. You need that safe catch. I don't know if either of them are at that dominant position yet where they're about as surefire as a third and six as third and sixes get, but they have that potential. They have the 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 ceilings, the roof. They can do it. Well, actually, it's a football stadium. That maybe wasn't the best line to use, but they have that opportunity, like we've said plenty of times, to fix that third and six and give Kehoe, give Caruso that extra little bit of consistency on the offensive end. 
Before we move into a game-by-game sort of breakdown or outlook for this season for this Delaware team, I want to ask you about the atmosphere tomorrow, what you're expecting to see for a game one. Traditionally, it's the game of the season that brings in the most students, right? You get freshmen just moved into campus this past weekend. But there's there could be, I think, maybe an additional excitement. There's a few extra different things. We may see a different uniform combination on the field. There's a new tailgating area for students called the Barn, right by Bob Hanna Stadium to the left of Delaware Stadium if you're on South College Avenue. Uh, obviously, the tickets are free for students. What is your expectation coming out here, game one of the season, for the atmosphere within the student section, within the general admission section, and so forth? I think it's going to be bigger than we've seen, I've seen personally, and probably you've seen personally to date. I was in the stands my freshman year. I was in the booth my sophomore year, and I'll be in the booth again my junior year. I think it's going to be massive, and I I don't think it's solely because of football. I think that the barn opening up is a huge addition. I think Delaware Athletics as a whole, especially from my perspective in the residence halls, have spiked up advertisement about games. It's all over the place. We have a whole spirit central on every floor. They know Delaware Athletics. They know what it's going to be. I think it's going to be great on the football level, though. I think it's going to add a little more excitement because I think – not that De- uh, Delaware football is the talk of the campus, but there's a little more buzz about it. There's a little more uh, conversation when I talk to a few of my friends that are like, oh, this team was actually pretty good last year. Maybe they have the opportunity to be good again and maybe going to see a winning team because winning is something, uh, at least at home, that Delaware really hasn't uh, had ironed out for a few seasons. Mm-hmm. That if they have this winning season with a new tailgating area, with this new Delaware vibe, I have no reason to believe that this won't be the biggest game uh, population-wise, bigger than any other game we had last year, maybe two years before that. I feel like I have kind of an interesting perspective as having gone to some Delaware football games before being a student here and kind of back to the last era of Delaware football success. Certainly since I've been here, which is now I'm a senior, so that would have been the 2015 season would be my freshman year here. I think... Of that era, that four-year period, when you compare this game to the other season openers, I think it'll be bigger, like you were saying. And for all, I absolutely agree with all the reasons you outlined. I'm interested to see where we cross that threshold or when we cross that uh, threshold of when it gets back to 2007 heights, right? When Joe Flacco is on this team and they go to the FCS National Championship or 2010, led by Pat Devlin, Andrew Pierce, when that team went to the National Championship. Because then I think all of those things you talk about, they meet with the football performance on the field. And the excitement is not only brewing pregame with all the hype and everything that's going on with the stadium, but it's brewing in the fourth quarter when your defense needs a goal line stand, when your offense needs to convert a crucial third down, and then they're able to. And that's what will reawaken Delaware Stadium, if you will. The pinnacle of my Delaware football career was obviously last year's Richmond game. It's one that I was huge game it was huge and i think the whole uh idea of fans leaving games at half which is the the norm for most people they come watch the first half students and, at students. Least. and if it's not a nail biter they'll leave this game was a nail biter so that's why everyone stayed and then once it hit overtime we got this whole vibe of like all the students finally coming together and it's the first time i've seen that at a delaware athletics event period um 
that you've seen the entire student body focused on one thing and one thing only, and that's that football game. They weren't on their phones. They were looking at the game and excited for the game. And I don't know if Delaware's used to that yet. I don't think Delaware – because, you know, when you get on opportunity, you're doing it, and you're like, I don't know how to act. I don't know how this works. That <laughs> I've might, never been here before. That might be like um, the vine that's like, this is just my third day out here. I don't know how it's going. <laughs> that's kind of what I feel Delaware's going to be because this team's competitive. This team is going to be good. I think this team's going to be very good. So if we get three, four, five games into the season, Delaware sitting at 5-0, and 4-1, us fans don't know how to act. We're going to go there. We're going to cheer them on. We're going to hope for the best. But it's going to be a whole experience for everybody, the coaching staff, the fans, the press. It's going to be a whole different vibe. And I think that we're all prepared with that new barn, with that new publicity in the residence halls, with this new team, with this new uniform. We have it all laid out. We're ready for it. And I think as a team, as a community, we kind of need it too. Let's take a look at the Blue Hen schedule, taking it kind of in sections. We'll start with those first three games Rhode Island tomorrow, the first CAA game of the season and the home opener, plus Lafayette and Cornell, all three games at home to open the year. Three fairly winnable games, especially when you look back at the records of Rhode Island, Lafayette, and Cornell. Rhode Island has not had a winning season since Jim Fleming, their current head coach, has taken over the team. Lafayette and Cornell have struggled mightily against Delaware in the past couple of seasons, and we're now saying Delaware is going to be better than they were. When you look at those three games, we talked about it a little bit before. What's the outlook? Are this must-wins? Are they extremely winnable? What, what do you expect there? So the two that I have knowledge about, Rhode Island and Cornell, I'm going to give Delaware both the wins on that. I'm going to go on a limb with you and agree that Lafayette will be a win as well. So I'm going to say Delaware's 3-0 and in their first three, one of them being the CAA against Rhode Island. Must-win-wise, I think all three are must-wins. Yep. I think perhaps holding the most severity of any game of the season whether uh, um albeit if there's a playoff game down the stretch win and get in that might hold a little more weight <laughs> but at this moment these three games delaware needs to go three and oh they need to one prove that they're actually good prove that their caa rating was legit prove that their fds defense rating is legit and two they need that momentum they need to have three wins under their belt because then they hit north dakota state which it's a different it's a animal. It's a game. It, it's like Virginia Tech last year, maybe a little, a little step below, but it's a totally different beast there. But then CAA-wise, they're pretty much right in the pack. Richmond won't be as strong. We'll get into these games later. But they get into a flow where if they win those first three, and we'll see what happens with North Dakota, sky's the limit for them. They can take this and they can keep winning. I think you know, labeling the first game of the season a must-win, that might be a little bit misleading. But I think where you're coming from is that if they lose to Rhode Island, that game alone will be the single, you know, taking each game individually, that will be the game that could hold them back the most. Oh, because yeah, the Rhode Island, are shot down, everything's done. Yeah, Rhode We're Island's not a good team, but also when you consider it in the context of the season, that's a very, very difficult way to start. That's going to kill all of this momentum if they come out and lose at home to the 12th ranked team out of 12 in the CAA. The other two... You would hate to see them lose those two, but they are non-conference games, you know, but they're at home. You should win your non-conference games at home. Then it's North Dakota. And Jake, you and I will be there at the Fargo Dorm in Fargo, Fargo Dome, not the Fargo Dorm, Fargo Dome in Fargo, North Dakota on the 22nd of September. They have an open date after that. Mindset sort of 
preliminary game plan feeling heading into that North Dakota game for you, especially if they come out of the first three, three and zero. Kind of the same as the Virginia Tech game, and that's make it competitive, make it interesting. Because even though we lost that Virginia Tech game, I think the team got better after that, and I think it has to be the same for North Dakota. The line we beat the line in Virginia Tech line was like forty something, and we held it to twenty something. That's yeah. that's that's a good lo- beat on the line. But for North Dakota, I think it's more winnable. I think it's reasonable to say that this can be a competitive football game through some weaving of Delaware to James Madison, James Madison to North Dakota. Look how they played each other. Not that the the two outers would have any similarities, but if Delaware plays North Dakota like JMU played North Dakota, this can be a competitive football game. This can be a real interesting competitive game. They just need to play, play it tight. Play it close. Don't get blown out. You can get positives playing this team even in a loss. After that's the open date. So that's sort of section one of the season. You finish non-conference play. They come back from North Dakota a week off to reset and get ready for the ones that really count. CAA play, which opened, or which the second half of which I guess opens on October 6th. They'll have the Rhode Island game under the belt. But they go to Richmond. Obviously, Danny Rocco has history there. His first trip back to Richmond since leaving the Spiders to become the Blue Hens head coach. That's October 6th, and then from there, it's it's week after week, challenge after challenge, taking Richmond first, but you can, you know, if you want to, go ahead and go into Elon and New Hampshire as you start CAA play. What's the importance of of those first couple of games and in October, the beginning of the second half of the season, if you will? We have, I think we've hit momentum well enough. I'm going to kind of go in the identity kind of path that you're playing CAA teams now. You're playing good CAA teams now. You're quote-unquote good CAA teams. You know what these teams offer you. This is the time where you find yourself. This is where you find your team. This is where the defense finds themselves and solidifies themselves as a top defense. This is where the offense hopefully can continue the run and utilize some trio of passing players, whether it be Jarman Walker Scarf or Jarman Walker Papali, whatever they decide to do there. This is your time to find your identity as a team as a whole, your energy. You want to be a fast-moving team. You want to be a wildcat formation with Joe Walker, every other play team. This is why it's so important right off the bat that they get this Richmond team. And I think if I could pick any of the 11 CAA teams to pick as their first game, I want Richmond. And if not Richmond, I want Stony Brook. Because these are two games that in the back of the Delaware players' minds, Delaware fans' minds, they look at last year and they see these were two of the best games of our season. We get this team again. Let's stomp them. Let's get over it, and let's move on. After Richmond, it's Elon. Haven't played the Phoenix in two seasons, I think. Uh, that Just two games between the two teams in their program histories. That's a team that last year made a big jump, a jump similar to what Delaware maybe hoped to do last year, coming from 4-7 and seven up and just narrowly missing the playoffs. But they had a program record, tied a program record in wins last year. That game will be up in Newark. Then it's into the next two, New Hampshire, Towson, um, and then beyond that, even Albany at the first weekend of November. Take us through the midsection of the CAA schedule there. So Elon coming at second, New Hampshire and Towson. I talked about uh, just before the idea in the fans' heads, idea in the players' heads that they're thinking, all right, Stony Brook, all right, Richmond, we stomped them. Let's do it again. Towson is the total opposite end of the coin. That was a Delaware victory until the clock said zero. The last second touchdown into the corner of the end zone seals the Delaware fate. 
for pretty much the entire postseason. That was pretty much the nail in the coffin, or at least the building of the coffin. That was the one that hurt you the most. Yeah. They still could have been in had they beat Villanova, but that one took the security blanket away. Right. So that's a game where Delaware, I think, kind of shies away. I think most teams will play harder against a team that did that to them. I don't think this Delaware team has that win mindset yet where they're going to just plant and just stick it to Towson. I think it's still a winnable football game. I will still pick Delaware to win, but I won't be as confident against Towson. Going backwards to the more recent games, New Hampshire's a little sneaky. They're, I think, a better team on paper. Um, Number two ranked team in the CAA preseason poll. Right. I think they're— 14 um, straight playoff appearances. A better team than a lot of people see them as. And I don't, again, think Delaware's ready for that either. So I think that's—I think Richmond—New Hampshire, sorry, is going to be their hardest matchup of their first four CAAs. I think it's going to be harder than Elon. I think it's going to be harder than Towson. It's on the road as well. Right. I think that's going to kind of add that— degree of difficulty i'll also say it adds a degree of difficulty because by that point the starting quarterback should be solidified and that if it's not black game's just pretty much blown open because against a team that's slated to be second in the caa against a 13 straight playoff appearance team or 14 yeah uh and if you don't know who your starting quarterback is and you're switching out every series come on it's gonna be tough to keep up we gotta be more prepared for that elon I think Delaware can beat Elon. Elon was kind of built on their sturdy line, defensive line, mm-hmm. and, and then defense as a whole. And running game, I think, is going to be totally absorbed. I think the Delaware defense is better than the Elon running game. I think that's pretty unanimous. And well, I, they, they got a strong running game. I think right. some people would, would look and say, Blau Nichols isn't here anymore. Blaine Woodson isn't here anymore. And we have Malcolm Summers back. We're going to try to run the ball down your throats. And and that's kind of – it's the, like, fire with fire. It's, There's it's, your matchup. It's the defense's – strength at least it was last year versus elon strength as an offense which is i think what the entire matchup's going to come down to i think the elon quarterback play is good it's good davis cheek yeah it's good. last year's ca offensive rookie of the year yeah. see what he has for an encore it's talent and i think the delaware offense it's serviceable at this point at this point in time we'll call it a serviceable offense i think those will kind of cancel out mull over on the scorecard Final three games of the season are away at Albany, away at Stony Brook, and then they close the season at home against Villanova. I'll have you start with the first two, but actually, let's let's start with Villanova. Right, we talked about Stony Brook. You said that's going to be a challenging game. I certainly agree. They're ranked fourth or fifth in the CAA. They are fourth. They're I think they're right behind. Uh, oh, it's they're Elon th- and then Stony Brook. Right, so fifth yep, in the CAA preseason poll. But they're a team that made the playoffs last year. They they do lose a lot of starters, but on the road, that's a tough game. Albany on the road should be a winnable game for the Blue Hens. They do have Elijah Ibatogan Hanks, their running back coming back. We'll see at that point in the season. We'll know what he looks like. But to to the Villanova game, season finale at Delaware Stadium, will that game be deciding whether the Blue Hens make the playoffs? Will that game be deciding where the Blue Hens are in the playoffs? Or will that game be backups, we're locked, forget about it, we're in? Yeah, I think the Villanova game will be deciding where in the playoffs the Blue Hens will land. I think that the Blue Hen team, and just make Villanova 6, Elon is 5, Stony Brook is 4 in the CAA poll. I think Villanova is just going to be a game where they win, great, they'll move up in the in the playoffs, they lose it should not take them out of playoff contention. I think Delaware will, at that point, be with almost utmost certainty a playoff team. 
And this game, my two options will be backup or position. I don't think this can take him out of the playoffs, win or lose at that point. Uh, otherwise, we'll, we'll go to the two games before that. Starting Brook and Albany, I have these both being stomp your feet, decisive Delaware victories down the stretch. I don't think Stony Brook has any um, note on the Delaware team anymore. I think Delaware has all the boxes checked. I think Delaware has everything checked. Um, and Albany always seems to give Delaware that little bit of trouble in the first half for the last t- two seasons that I remember them playing. Um, but I still think that Delaware across the board is a better team. So I'll give Delaware, Albany, and Stony Brook wins and then Villanova, will, I will say it doesn't matter, assuming that it's just a backup game. So let's tally it up. We've gone through each of the 11 opponents of the season. You don't have to specify exactly where the losses will come, but rough estimate. Your prediction at this point, as we sit here on August 29th, the day before Delaware's season opener against Rhode Island, your prediction on the Blue Hens' record for the 2018 football season both overall and in CAA play? Um, I'm going to give them a CAA. I think they're going to amass two losses in total for their CAA play over the course of the season. And I think so over, six and two. Six and two and the file ranking. And then the three non-conference games, I believe they go two and one in those. So that'll bring their overall record to eight and three, if my math and was six correct, and two. which is a shy away from what Delaware was last year with a seven and four. Uh, that was unfortunately not good enough to make the playoffs, given I think the division as a whole was a bit better than they're going to be this year. But I think Delaware will be a CAA six and two, overall eight and three. So Jake says eight and six. We should note since this FCS playoffs went to their current format in 2013. No CAA team with that record or better, eight wins overall and six wins in the CAA, has been left out of the playoffs. Teams have been left out with eight overall wins and five CAA wins, but typically that eight-win threshold, or if you make it more specific, six wins in the conference, in this conference being regarded as one of the best or the second-best conference in the FCS year in, year out, that gets you into the playoffs. For my prediction, I'm going to go similar. I'm going to go nine and two, seven and one. Um, I I think the North Dakota State game it's a tough one. They're the number one team in the FCS coming into the season. I think they'll drop that one on the road. Agree. It's yeah. homecoming there too. Like that's going to be a crazy be a crowd to play in. I think they'll keep it close, like you were talking about. I think it's similar to the Virginia Tech game where you might look back on it and say. If this didn't happen or that didn't happen, it'd be a three-point game heading into the if fourth quarter. If we didn't miss three kicks in Virginia Tech, <laughs> we would have had almost double-digit points. In the, yeah, so so I think it's that kind of situation where they're going to fall short in a couple respects, and they might kick themselves for it, but it'll be okay because it's North Dakota State. And then I think in the regular season, it's it's those games we've highlighted on the road, New Hampshire and Stony Brook, that are the toughest two to come over. But this would be a big step up from last year in saying that they're pretty much going to handle their business. Last year, they had two games where they dropped that they should have won, Towson and Villanova. So I think the overall tone of the season will change to where this will be regarded as a winning team that knows how to handle business. They might not do it clean every time, but they'll figure out ways to beat the teams that they should, whether it's a close game at Richmond or a close game at Albany. I think they'll pull them out and they'll just lose to an almost equally talented team on the road in Stony Brook or New Hampshire. And I I think Stony Brook, I don't think Delaware's going to have a problem. 
I think Delaware is going to have almost as easy a time as they can imagine against Stony Brook because, like I mentioned, the momentum is there. The idea in the back of their mind is there. I think the talent across the board got better for the Blue Hens, and I think it slowed down because I think, and I will check this and we can write it uh, on when we post this, I think Stony Brook lost three of their defensive linemen, three graduating seniors on their defensive line are gone. Um, we'll check that after we're done. But that's a huge blow, especially to a team that was uh, recognized as a strong defensive team that Stony Brook was. I think Delaware's trouble is actually going to come from Elon. I think that's going to be one that I gave Elon the benefit of the doubt. I think that's the one that Delaware can go back and forth. But we agree on New Hampshire. That's going to be a tough game. Elon's going to be tough, like you mentioned. Fire with fire. Delaware run defense. Elon run offense. We'll call that a wash. We'll call Delaware offense passing offense, Elon passing offense. We'll give Elon the edge on that. And then on the defensive side, I'll give Delaware the pass, uh, the secondary. Yeah. Where, where do I give the advantage, though? I give it that Elon knows winning more than Delaware knows winning from these last two seasons. Elon has come out of the blue. Elon has come strong out of the blue. I think they'll be more prepared, especially for this matchup than Delaware will be. Well, we shall certainly see. It all gets started tomorrow against Rhode Island. At this point last year, you know, Delaware was probably not expected to be 7-4 and four in Danny Rocco's first season, and they did that, and things change quickly in the CAA. Villanova last year was a top 15 team entering the season, and they finished with five wins. So, you know, as we sit here today, that's the outlook of the conference and what we think will happen deep down the road in October and November. But things are certain to change, as they always do in the CAA, one of the FCS's most competitive conf- er, conferences um, if not the most competitive conference. If you want more information about those CAA opponents and really want to dig your teeth in and dive deep, check out our previous episode of the Delaware Football Roundup, which is called the CAA Media Roundup, where I spoke with members of the media from each of Delaware's CAA opponents. So we go about 15, 20 minutes on each one, diving into players they've lost, players they expect to make a big jump forward this season, and how those teams stack up against the Blue Hens. Jake, we are, like we said, under 36 hours away from the kickoff of the 2018 Delaware football season. We're both, both going to be on the call tomorrow night, 7 o'clock p.m. on 91.3 WVD. You excited? Yeah, and I think that it's going to be uh, an electric atmosphere. I think everyone's going to be ready. Everyone's going to be cheering. I think it's going to be a huge fan turnout. There's a lot more campaigning around, especially, like I said, uh, in the residence halls. And I think this team's just ready. This team's eager to get back on the field, especially in their new looks, and I hope I hope it doesn't go blue on blue. Really don't want it to go blue on blue. I don't think it will go blue on blue. Um, but I think this team is ready to play. This team has heard a lot around them. Yeah. They got their all CAA mentions. They got their all American mentions. They want to play. They just want to get out there, hit some helmets to helmets. Well, take that back. Hit some shoulder pads to shoulder pads. Hey, yeah. you can hit with the helmet rolls. That's in the NFL. Right. Leave with the helmet in college. Make yeah. it play. Um, I think everyone's excited. Not, to not advocating yes, d- head definitely, injuries. Uh, but if you're listening those, to this, yeah, some don't of those duck calls in, someone in the NFL are a little ridiculous. But, I mean, here it is. Let's go. Here, we'll get to see, starting tomorrow night, the first taste of the Pat Kehoe era, second year in Danny Rocco, and it should be a lot of fun. Our pregame coverage will start at 6 o'clock p.m. on 91.3 WVUD. It won't be Jake and I. We'll have some fresh voices, if you will, fresh faces in the studio. Josh Deal, Nick Delaglio, and Doug Bear, and they're three of our WVUD sports broadcasters emerging this season to help us out on a lot of Delaware football coverage. And then it'll be Jake and I at the stadium holding it down. 7 o'clock is the kickoff. 
191.3 WVUD. Anything else for the cause, Jake? I think it'll be – I think what I would ask you right now is that it's less than 36 hours, you said, and I think we're going to do this on the cage as well tomorrow, but I think it's interesting to get it out now. Numerical prediction. This game specifically, no other game. CAA game against Rhode Island at home, opening day. What's your score? Hmm. I saw Kevin Tressley in the news journal said 27 to 13. Mm-hmm. Um, that sounds good to me. I, I'm going to I say they score a little bit more. I'm thinking back to a couple years ago, those 56-point performances against Delaware State, Wes Hills, 200-plus yards where he was just gashing the defense. I think that type of performance is possible tomorrow. Rhode Island's a better team than those Delaware State teams were the past couple of seasons, but this is also a very good Blue Hens team. So I'm going to go, I'll say 38 points for Delaware to 10 for Rhode Island. I'm going to... uh take the defensive identity to the bank here and say Delaware scores a total of 21 points and Rhode Island scores a total of three. I'll go 21 to three, Blue Hen victory. All right, that'll do it for us here on the Delaware Football Roundup. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you soon on the broadcast tomorrow night from Delaware Stadium again, seven o'clock. Our coverage begins on WVD. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you.